A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Today we've got a great story of compliance involving workplace safety and some major backfiring against the person enforcing it. But first, if my work is that bad, then it would be better for everyone if I quit. My last job was okay, but not fantastic. We were always short-staffed, and as a result, we had to make up any time lost due to absence or illness. But the real trial was our boss, who was one of those seagull bosses, always wanting drastic changes to everything. No matter how unnecessary they were, or how much harder it would make our work, he also constantly threatened to fire people. I had had a screw-up the previous year. I admit it was on me, and my supervisor, a very good one, helped me to sort it out and make sure it didn't happen again. But we had received some customer complaints, and I was paranoid about getting more. And oh boy, did the boss like to hold that over my head. Anyway, more than a year later, and I apply on a whim to a very well-regarded company in my town. To my surprise, I get the position. It's much better run and organized, so it's a great deal. But I do feel a bit bad for my old work since we're about to hit a very busy season. At least until my boss called and said he'd received a complaint about me and I needed to shape up or I'd be fired. I was really upset. But then, wait a minute, it's been the dead season just now. I haven't done anything to get complaints. I messaged my supervisor and yep, no complaints since the last year. Boss was either making it up or pretending the complaints were from this year. So I decided this was the perfect opportunity. I messaged my boss and told him that since there were so many complaints and I wasn't getting any better, it would be best for me to step down from my role, as I obviously could not do it. Immediate backpedal on his part. Suddenly the complaints didn't mean anything. I could get a raise, sick leave, anything. Since it wouldn't be the first time he'd promised us the moon and delivered a bowl of dirt, I didn't budge. He'd been telling me all year that I was on the verge of being fired and wasn't good enough for my role, so it was best I go. He hung up and got the poor supervisor to call instead, and she twigged pretty quickly when I mentioned where I'd be working now, and all but said that if she got the chance, she'd jump ship for that too. Anyways, been at my new work for two years now, and it's great. No regrets. I'm guessing their threats were to try to keep these people working hard, or not getting too comfortable with their job, but like OP, I'd rather quit than work with that. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you enjoy awesome stories of malicious compliance, why not hit that subscribe button down below? No pass? No entry. This happened quite a few years ago. I started a new job in IT support. After a couple of weeks training and orientation, I was put on my first early shift. IT support were always the first in the building to make sure all the systems were good before the working day started, so I was given my own key to the front door to unlock the building. The entrance had a kind of airlock system. The outer door was unlocked, but then there was another automatic door that needed a swipe card to open it. Everything was fine for the first few days. Entered the building, got on with the work. Then, this particular morning, as I unlocked the door, the head of HR walked up behind me. I recognized him as he had sat in on my job interview. I said, good morning, swiped my card and walked in. He followed me. As soon as we were in the building, he pulled me up and told me I shouldn't have let him in without him swiping his pass. His argument was that he might have been fired the day before, so that might have been trespassing. The swipe card system wasn't used to monitor people's work hours or anything like that, 
I apologized profusely, and he said he'd let it go this time as I was new. Fast forward two weeks, I'm unlocking the door, and a complete stranger walks up behind me and tried to follow me in. I turn around and ask him to use his pass. He says he's forgotten it. I say that I can't let you in. Then he drops the bombshell, but I'm the CEO. I apologize and say sorry. I only have your word for that and I'm under strict instructions from the head of HR not to let anybody in without a pass on pain of disciplinary action. He got quite angry and said again, he was the CEO. I apologized again but left him in the airlock with a face like thunder and heard him shout something like, I'll have your job for this, as I walked away. Later that day, I got a phone call from the head of HR. I thought he was going to bollock me, but instead, he said that I did the right thing and that he was going to get the CEO to apologize to me. I did get a short email from the CEO to that effect later in the day. Sometimes, even in the face of adversity, you've got to do the things you know are right. Even if it's somebody with authority that's trying to talk you down. And who knows, maybe this could have been a huge test. Send the CEO in as a dummy and see if somebody's foolish enough to ignore the policy. Do your job fast. Oh, and also right. Years ago, I worked as a subcontractor testing groundwater wells. Fresh out of college, I was just happy to get a job post-08 crash and was fairly naive about work climate, workload expectations, and work-life balance. I got hired on as a field technician for a subcontracting company that tested groundwater wells, servicing a wide range of environmental consulting firms, oil and gas, and state agencies. We typically ran solo, pumping wells, sampling, and shipping samples off, and the hours and work could be grueling. As I try my best to follow standard operating procedures, my project managers consistently complain about my pace of work. I'm regularly running overtime by a few hours each week and they make it clear that they'd prefer I work fast enough to complete each day within 8 hours, because of course, you want to get home at a reasonable hour every day. They even go so far as to give me a time limit per groundwater well that would ideally bring me home each day before overtime, except they don't account for big city traffic, traffic control that we set up if sampling in the street, groundwater well recharge rates varying seasonally, etc. At about six months of trying my best to fulfill their expectations, I realized the managers either want me to outright lie on my paperwork, skip my own lunch, or skip steps in the outlined workflow to achieve their goal of bringing me home on time each day. Cue malicious compliance. I continue to show up and start my day at 4.30am to beat traffic in the morning, but now I didn't do anything in a rush. I carefully followed every step outlined by our standard operating procedures. I take my full 30 minute lunch break and bathroom breaks whenever I feel the need. I'd chop it up with the auditors if they showed up on site. Basically, I did my job, did it correctly, and without a rush. Which unfortunately for the company's payroll, always had me sitting in rush hour traffic at the end of the day, logging in 12 to 14 hour days, 5 days a week. My peak was 72 hours worked in one week. The company was in such desperate need of workers because of high turnover that they couldn't let me go. The project managers gave up on trying to push me to move fast, and as a single guy, I loved the cash machine I discovered. Come to find out the company was abusive to a lot of my coworkers. I stayed for the year of experience, made good money, and quit. I moved on to bigger and better, but always treat any subs I work with to lunch.
I just loathe the idea of working in a job where you're expected to work, you know, as hard as two or three people, get done on time, have pressure placed on you to skip lunch breaks, bathroom breaks. I mean, when you hear the stories of people who work for a certain large online retailer having to go and pee in bottles just to make it work, it's just insane. A treasure chest. So a few years back, on a rainy morning, I was driving to work. I had a turn coming up and the car behind me was riding my tail very close. Me being the little anxiety ball I was didn't slow down nearly enough for the rain. I ended up running off the road into a ditch and hitting a plastic sign. This was my first accident. I was mortified and a bit shaken up. I ended up not having any damage to my vehicle and didn't have to file a report. Fast forward to me at my second job and I'm telling a coworker about my experience. As it turns out, the sign I hit belonged to the company her boyfriend worked at. I asked her to apologize for me and went about my day. This being my first accident or really incident of any kind, I didn't think to reach out and offer compensation for the destroyed property. I was quite young and naive. Fast forward again to a week or so later and I got a call at my second job. Someone who worked at the company of that destroyed sign was on the other end. When I answered, he immediately started yelling that I had destroyed their property. I hadn't reached out to them and that I needed to immediately pay $75 or they were going to call law enforcement on me. I was more than happy to pay and put up no resistance at all, but was quite perturbed that he immediately started to threaten me before giving me a chance to explain, apologize, or agree to pay. Cue malicious compliance. That night I went to the bank and explained the situation to the teller. I told her I needed to withdraw $75, but I wanted it in pennies. After hearing what happened, she suggested I do it in nickels because they weigh more. So I ended up getting $74 in nickels and a dollar in pennies. But it doesn't stop there. After receiving the coins, neatly rolled, I unrolled every single one and collected them into a box. The next day at work, a man came to pick up the money. I pointed at the cardboard box. He picked it up with a puzzled look, but didn't open it and didn't say anything. The next day, a woman and her kids came over. Turns out she was the wife of the owner, and she wanted to understand why I gave all coins. I explained my side of the story and why I was so upset. She ended up apologizing for the way I was treated, and said that her kids thought that they'd found a treasure chest when they opened the box. It worked out in the end, but if I could redo it, I would have been more upfront instead of malicious compliance. I'm almost certainly willing to bet that this was an empty threat by the company, so I don't really blame OP for doing what they did. Because let's be real, if the sign replacement costs $75, I highly doubt that they're actually going to call law enforcement and deal with all that. Because at that point it becomes a grander situation where all of a sudden they have the burden of proof. And also, the cops have to be interested enough in a $75 sign to even go along with it. As you wish. This happened a couple or three decades ago in the military. I was in charge of the squadron budget and made sure that all unit expenditures were proper, right funds account, and funds were available. I was also to make sure that our budget lasted the whole fiscal year. We got a new commander who was the worst micromanager I saw in my 20 year career. I made an appointment for my initial budget brief and proceeded to lay out our current expenditures, funding available, and the plans to spend it all by the end of the fiscal year. My new commander then tells me that he wants oversight on every penny spent in the squadron. 
I said I could do that, but I needed some clarification. He said very condescendingly, Did you not hear me, Sergeant? I said every penny. I will approve every penny spent in this squadron before it is spent. I said, Yes, sir. Do you want me to send paper requests or email them to you? He said email would be sufficient and dismissed me. I knew exactly what to do. I called all the bosses who ran the different shops and told them what the commander had said and that I had no choice but to comply. None of them were happy and a couple of them caught the tone of my voice and figured out what I was doing. I even told the squadron chief what was going to happen and he told me that he would have my back. So I took all 27 spending accounts down to zero dollars available. Even the most critical aircraft parts couldn't be ordered until they sent me an email which I forwarded to the commander. He never once responded. It took two weeks for everything to hit the fan. It was longer than I thought it would take and I was starting to get nervous. We were in a staff meeting and the commander was pissed. He had just gotten his butt chewed by the colonel because of all the broke airplanes waiting on parts to be bought. He turned to the first flight chief and asked him why he had so much equipment that wasn't getting fixed. The chief said with a straight dead poker face, Sergeant so-and-so won't approve us buying any parts. The commander whipped his head towards me and angrily asked what the problem was. I looked him straight in the eye and said, Sir, I sent those requests to you two weeks ago. You could see the color drain from his face as he quickly looked down. We'll talk about this after the meeting. I kept my straight face and I swear that I heard more than one muffled chuckle from the chiefs at the conference table. When the meeting was over, the commander told me to meet him in his office. The chief that threw me under the bus winked at me and smiled. I walked in right behind the boss and reported formally. We normally only do this if we were in trouble or getting praise, but this guy insisted on it from everyone every time. Mike, apparently I was now on a first name basis. You seem to have a pretty firm grasp on the budget and what the flights need. I think you can approve the normal day to day stuff and just bring the big things to me. Yes, sir, was all I could say without busting out in laughter. Every request was approved and ordered within an hour, and I was never questioned again. When you have some demanding boss, somebody who always finds something to call you out on, there's not much more a thing satisfying than watching them display their total incompetence. Even more so if you can be the one to call it out to them like OP did. Do you want it done right, or do you just want deniability if someone tries to sue? Many years ago, I got a temp job at a local soap shop. You know, the fancy kind where it's five British pounds for a bar of handmade soap. The manager didn't like me. I did things thoroughly and methodically, not quickly and good enough for now. I also have a very good memory, and I remember things people say and do, especially if those things don't add up. The manager would exaggerate things that make her look good, and conveniently forget things which didn't go her way. I thought she had made a genuine mistake so I corrected her once and she never forgave me. It was time for the monthly deep clean and I was tasked with doing the stairs. The shop had a metal spiral staircase which led up to the storeroom and we had to go up and down it with massive jugs of warm water so that the customer... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. 
Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ...could try the products. Given the nature of the products, there was also soap flakes everywhere, and they got stuck to this high traffic area. There was about a quarter of a centimeter of soap caked onto each step. The manager explained in front of most of the staff how important this job was and that it had to be done right. People could get hurt, you see, and you don't want that, do you, OP? She spent more time than was necessary, making it very clear that if someone got hurt, then I would be to blame. It was also the most isolating and tedious job. It was obvious that this was revenge for my humiliating the manager. Fine. I went into my little world and started scraping. She wanted all the soap gone. I would remove every scrap of soap. Half an hour later, I had done a couple of steps, and I was told that I was being too slow. She suggested that not all of the soap needed to be removed, only enough to make it less slippery. I replied that no, I was doing it properly. The soap on the second layer is just as slippery as the soap on the top layer, so if this was a safety concern, then obviously I needed to remove all of the soap. I reminded her that she didn't want anyone to get hurt. The manager continued to criticize me for another half an hour until she had no choice but to swap me with someone else. She had publicly made a big deal of how important the job was, so now she couldn't backtrack and leave it. A few days later, she spilled a full basin of water down the stairs. The four steps I'd cleaned were safe to walk on. All the steps she had assigned to someone else, another six or so, were slippery as all heck, and she slid down the stairs on her back. She was off work for several weeks, and when she came back, she tried to blame me for not doing the job properly. I reminded her that she slipped on the stairs, which were cleaned by someone else, and that I was pulled off the task for being too thorough. Fortunately, it was a temp job, and I moved on after a couple of months. She still works there, and I've noticed that none of the other staff last more than a year or two. It's no great surprise to me that people only last a year or two. If they hadn't managed to somehow go and get themselves fired by that manager, Lord knows they themselves would be looking to leave as soon as they could. Our next story is, do you trust us? I've worked in IT at universities most of my career. Several years ago, I transferred to a new university to try something new. I immediately regretted it for several reasons. One, the entire department was under review from HR for low morale. A survey was sent to the staff to gauge morale. I later learned that the VP had been demoted because of it before I was hired. Two, the new director barely spoke to me when hired and had her door shut for almost three straight days. Three, I was asked to consider which of my staff I wanted to replace, fire, to better help with the new software implementation. Later learned that they'd had several lawsuits for wrongful dismissal. Four, I had two staff that lived 90 minutes away that frequently asked to work from home during inclement weather. I was told to be strict about this and deny their requests. Of course, if my staff called or texted the director, she would cave and let them. Ugh. Five, my director received a promotion, executive director, 
and a consultant was hired as our new director. She was a consultant with the very company whose software we were implementing, foreshadowing. Now comes the craziness. The VP brought in a group therapist to meet with all of the managers. We learned about team building and that a good team has a foundation of trust. We had several managerial meetings after this, where our old director and the VP would grill the mid-level managers about trust. We were asked bluntly, who doesn't trust us? Everybody was afraid to speak up. My anxiety was now through the roof. I had to be put on medication just to help me get out the front door to go to work. I couldn't quit because I needed health insurance for my family, pre-Obamacare. Now comes the malicious compliance. They continued to berate us about how trust was key over several meetings. Who doesn't trust us? I finally raised my hand. You asked, so I'll answer you. I said, I don't trust you. I've been in meetings where you've belittled and made fun of our staff in front of vendors and clients. Who knows what's being said about me when I'm not in the room? You have unrealistic expectations and the lowest morale of any place I've worked. Trust needs to be earned. They were a bit shocked that I'd answered them. I was fired within two weeks. I was well liked by my colleagues, which meant that whatever trust was still out there crumbled immediately. They replaced me with a consultant from the same software company. He was fired within a month. Trust was now completely abandoned. Within the next year, 75% of my department either quit or retired. Thankfully, I had already started interviewing for positions before being fired. I found one within two months and have been there for 10 years. Best job I've ever had. Unfortunately, they're still up to the same shenanigans. Just recently, 10 plus years later, the university fired the whole IT division and outsourced them to the same software slash consulting company. The whole university's in financial hot water, having to cut 14 academic programs. I love that their focus on trust was never really about trust, but about compliance, about submission. I think every time they had these meetings where they shoved the word trust in front of everybody and they had everybody sitting there and they said, who doesn't trust us? They're basically standing up there at the podium saying, who isn't going to follow my orders? I'm glad OP was willing to call them out. Our next story is, some can be taught, others have to screw up first. A customer called up to place an order on October 10th, 2022. I said, good afternoon, Widgets International, this is Squid, how can I help you? Chuckles says, hi, this is Chuckles and I'd like to place an order for widgets for everything and a bag of widgets, location number 12345. After the order is placed, I say, all right, what's the PO number? They say the PO is 101022. I said, are you sure, sir? Everything in a bag of widgets corporate usually requires a seven digit PO number and this looks like today's date. Chuckles says, you're new, aren't you? Don't worry about it, it'll be fine. I am most definitely not new and it will not be fine, but okay, sure. I say very well, sir. The order's been placed. The order number is ABCEZAS123. You should receive it in about two weeks. I place an internal note on the order describing the conversation. Two weeks later, I was lucky enough to learn about the fallout of the above conversation when I take the following call. I say good afternoon, Widgets International. This is Squid. How can I help you? They say, hi, this is Chuckles from everything in a bag of widgets, number 12345, and I want to know why I haven't received my order yet. I say, let me look that up, sir. I check the notes, recognizing the order. I say, it looks like it's been delayed. 
They say probably because of the girl I placed the order with. She was kind of clueless. Dot, dot, dot. Yes, I'm sorry about that, sir. She's new and not terribly bright. Let me see if I can find the exact reason the order was delayed. I dig deeper into the notes and say, here we are. It looks like the order's been delayed because we don't have a PO number. They say I gave the girl a PO number. I say, sorry, sir. I mean, we don't have a legitimate PO number. Everything in a bag of widgets corporate rejected it because it wasn't seven digits. And, hmm, because it was just the date you placed the order. Sorry, sir. The girl you spoke to should have caught that. We'll really need a new PO number. They say, really? Oh, sorry. Let me generate a new PO number for you. Then they say, okay, the PO number is 2460137. I say, thank you, sir. I've updated the order. You should have it in about a week. They say, so long? I placed the order two weeks ago. I say, sorry, sir. Some people won't listen until you repeat yourself multiple times. I'll make sure the girl knows what she did wrong, and I'll rush this order as much as possible. They say, thanks. You've been a great help. This story's great. I just wish that Chuckles here could have understood what they did wrong. In the end, Chuckles is like, oh, well, that was chipper. I'm sure glad they could help us out, and that girl sure was dumb. I just wish Chuckles left, knowing that they were a fool to begin with. This next story is Micromanaging 101. I'm an amused bystander to this. I was working on a compliance project at the time. The practice had consisted of a single compliance officer, but the company had grown and responsibilities had been split up into multiple departments. The person who had once run the entire practice alone was having a hard time handing off responsibilities to the newly created departments and would find petty ways to claw back control at any time. This person would also panic about investigations that could prove that previous work had not been done consistently, so they would revise procedures, definitions, department requirements, etc. to suit whatever agenda happened to be at play. Sometimes this meant ignoring important things, sometimes this meant filing unnecessary reports, things changed on a weekly basis. For some unfathomable reason, this person was very concerned about in-person coverage. This entire department had worked remotely throughout COVID. All other departments continued to work remotely. This department had to be in the office, period. To make things worse, working hours were defined as 8am to 5pm with a one hour break. On multiple occasions, this person would complain, claiming someone had mentioned that the department was deserted before 5pm on Fridays the day before holidays, etc. Didn't matter that the staff was working around 60 hours. Also didn't matter that there was nobody there to complain, as this was the only department on site. There were duties, which occasionally required someone to be on call until 6 or 7 p.m. On-call staffers suggested that the person responsible could start late on those days, but no, the workday starts at 8 a.m., no exceptions. The two hourly staffers took two to three hour lunch breaks so that they could still cover the required 8 a.m. start date, be available until 7 p.m., and still meet their no OT requirements. The salary-exempt staff wasn't having any of it, though. Calls were no longer answered because staff was to work from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and there was to be no flexibility regarding attendance. Staff got tired of this and mutually agreed to give this person exactly what they asked for. They started sending group texts of their work lock screens, showing that they were at their desks at 8am. They had sent texts showing that their computers had been locked at 5.01pm. 
I was briefly on this text chain and had to mute it due to the barrage of daily petty texts. The individual in question intended to mean that staff had to be there at least between those hours. Unpaid overtime was totally reasonable, but there was to be no concession made to allow staff some flexibility in the way they split up their working hours. That couldn't be said for obvious reasons, so they harped on the 5pm minimum end to work days. As you can imagine, this was followed by a wave of resignations. Over a six-month period, the department collapsed, leaving them with less staff than they had before the expansion. Great for us, we ended up winning a lucrative contract to manage and rebuild their entire practice. The staffer responsible for this great resignation was found to be incompetent. After their work started to get reviewed independently, the sheer volume of missed issues became impossible to justify and this person was eventually quietly replaced. I honestly do think the future is going to start moving more towards work from home, and situations like this could easily be remedied or at least made a little bit nicer by shifting to a work from home environment. I mean, if you're trying to get unpaid overtime from people, maybe they'd be a little bit more willing to do it from the comfort of their home. That said, our final story of the day is Union Overtime. I worked in a factory on afternoon shift, 3pm to 11pm, in another department were two lazy guys. Their department was pretty much fully staffed, and their job was to basically clean the department, make sure raw materials were available for the next day, that sort of thing. On Fridays, the day shift were often asked to work overtime on Saturdays, starting with the most senior employees and working down the list. These two guys were never asked, usually because by the time they arrived for their Friday evening shift, there were enough day shift volunteers to cover what was needed. They discovered that some of the day shift volunteers had less seniority than they did, so they kept their mouths shut, and for months they recorded each Saturday that a less senior employee worked. Then they filed a grievance stating that they missed out on the overtime because they weren't asked, and should be compensated for all those Saturdays. The company said, okay, then cited a clause in the contract that said they were only liable for only 30 calendar days as it was the employee's responsibility to bring any wage errors to the company in a timely manner. In that past month, there was one Saturday that a less senior employee worked a Saturday, so they paid each of these guys a day's worth of overtime. Then the company transferred these guys back to day shift. They objected to the transfer and lost as it was an ironclad in the contract that the company has the right to assign employees where they were needed. Both had preschool kids and both had wives that worked days. Dad would watch the kids while mom was at work. Then a babysitter or family member would come in and watch them for a couple of hours between when dad left for work and mom returned home. Not anymore. They had to arrange daycare for the full day at considerable expense. Mom had to leave early to drop off the kids and dad had to pick them up on the way home. But they did manage to profit that single day's worth of overtime. This is definitely a situation where they should have known they had a good thing going. If things are good enough, there's no need to rock the boat. I say just ride the lazy river while you can. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another absolutely awesome compliance story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.